HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is James O'Brien. We'll talk to James about Popina, dealing with the pandemic, and of course wine. We'll taste a rosese from Liguria, from Italy, that James was kind enough to bring in. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Jersey boy James O'Brien earned a degree at the Institute of Culinary Education after graduating college and worked his way through Danny Myers Union Square Hospitality Group at Tabla and Mayolino, where he met his eventual partner, Chris McDade. So the question has to be asked, don't answer yet, how did two guys with Irish-sounding last names (laughs) open one of the most admired Italian restaurants in New York? James O'Brien is the co-founder, owner, and GM of Popina in Brooklyn, also responsible for the wine. Popina, along with great food, serves up a wine list of unique depth and value. Welcome to the Grape Nation, James. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been looking forward to talking to you because just as we were talking off air before, I'm in Jersey, so I'm geographically undesirable to hang at the restaurant, which I would if I lived in the neighborhood. So it's nice to sit down with you. Um, We are recording today at the Heritage Radio Network Studios in the back of Roberta's. So it's fun to be uh, doing the show in the studio. It was kind of uh, James to take a walk over and sit and talk with us. All right, James, so we could frame the interview and give everybody a little background. Tell me about your journey in life and wine that got you really, you know, today to Popina. All right. Um, So early days, um, I 
you know, I, I had no idea what wine was or what it tastes like. Had no, like, it wasn't a, our, our family didn't drink wine growing up. Um, my dad and mom were more, I guess, like, they grew up in more of that vodka culture. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, like vodka sour, they weren't vodka martini. Yeah. They just weren't wine people. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, yeah, exactly. Right. They, they, they drank a lot. My dad worked on Wall <laughs> okay. Street. Um, well, my dad drank a lot, I should say, but um, all in all in good company. Um, but um, but yeah, we we didn't really drink. Uh, there wasn't wine on the table growing up, uh, like a lot like a lot of other wine professionals that kind of got to try it at an early age. And um, but for me. Uh, I went to uh, Marist uh, College where I was uh, bartending and DJing to kind of just like make some extra money. Um, and then and then after college, I started bartending at, you know, a slightly more elevated um, establishment in uh, New Jersey called Stonehouse at Sterling Ridge. And um, from there, I... Um, I, you know, it was still very much like the catering side of the, uh, because they didn't have, they hadn't had opened the, the restaurant yet. Um, so I was working a lot of the catered uh, events and, um, I met, um, my, uh, girlfriend at the time, um, who was a chef over there. And she kind of like turned my world around a little bit. I was like used to pouring shots of Jameson and drinking Jack Daniels and all that, you know, bud and nothing, <laughs> you know, so when I say bartending, it was a very like very college bar, you know? Um, and so when I started working here, I started thinking more about, you know, what people were drinking, classic cocktails. And, um, it was a slightly more elevated version of what I was doing. And, um, and then as we started going out, we, you know, started drinking wine and it, you know, very much started with, you know, going into a shop and being like, oh, shit, I don't know, Pinot Noir, that sounds good. Cool. And then um, and she also kind of um, I was a very picky eater growing up. So um, so that was also uh her favorite game uh, to ask what uh, what haven't you tried right and so it was a lot of like nope had any you know I don't eat I, I didn't eat eggs until fresh or soft or senior year of college or you know just these like random games of like oh shit like this dude <laughs> eats like pasta with butter and chicken fingers like you're like a nine-year-old yeah for sure yeah. and it was incredibly embarrassing you know um but as i started to date her my palate started to um it, you know i started to explore different foods and different drinks and um and then I was just like kind of into this whole idea of like hospitality. I, you know, um, and, and I thought of bartending more as like um, not just a means for money, but I started thinking about it as like, oh, cool. This could be this could be something. Um, so then you fast forward to um, you, you fast forward to um, I'm like, shit, I'm going to do this. So where do you do uh, where do you do something um, in the hospitality industry that you want to do for, you know, for real? And then so I, I moved to New York and um, after college, I moved to New York and I think that was 08. And um, I went to Gramercy Tavern for my birthday lunch with um, another uh, a friend. And so that's the true elevated experience. Yeah, right? so for sure. And I remember sitting at the bar, it was snowing, and uh, they, the bartender was like, what do you want to drink? And I was like, I was like, I was like looking at their cocktail menu and like, 
I was just like so like overwhelmed with like excitement that I, and he was, and then they were just like, well, what do you like? And I could help because I hadn't even know I had no idea what was even on the menu. Like, what is chartreuse or what is this right. or what is that? You know, I was just like, you know, I recognize bourbon or you know, and so. I was sitting there and the guy was like, well, what kind of flavors do you like? Do you like spicy? Do you like sweet? Do you like, uh, do you citrusy? Do you want like it spirit forward? And so like, I started like thinking about cocktails and bartending and flavors in a whole new way. And so, um, you know, obviously a four or five hour lunch there, you know, puts you in a good, Hey, I'm going to, I want to work for this guy, Danny Meyer, you know? And so... Is that why you went to work for Danny? Yeah. Because he does have a whole mindset and Gramercy projects it like nowhere else. For sure. And I I mean, I grew up, my my parents were always very supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Um, But, you know, my sister is a lawyer. My other sister is a pharmacist, like James the bartender, you know, it just didn't have the same ring, you know? So, um, so... It was that at that time that I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to enroll in the Institute of Culinary Education. And I took their management program because um, I was like, wow, like this is something I want to do. And, you know, I started reading a lot and uh, just, you know, every day just being like, what was what was going on in the restaurant scene? And um, and I applied to while I was in school, I applied to um, a bunch of Danny's restaurants, being that I was didn't have a lot of. New York experience. Um, the only place that would have me was Tabla. Um, so I went to an interview there, um, had a really great interview. And um, yeah, I started, I think I started as a bar back um, and then um, just graduated to be a bartender. And then from there, I worked at when they closed because I, I worked there for like the last year. And then from there, I went to work at Myelino where. I was like, I'm a bartender at Tabla. I was like, I want to be a bartender here. And they were like, how about a back server? And so, <laughs> um, and the, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, but I, but I, I just, it was exciting. And I just wanted to, I just wanted You I, hung I, in there. I felt really good about you, the place. But you were determined, you know, to take the hits and grow and start at any level. For sure. And, and honestly, I didn't have any experience like on the floor. So I was learning how to carry three plates. I was learning table numbers, position numbers. You know, you're going from bartending where you're either making drinks for service bar or you're making drinks for the person in front of you. You get a food order, whatever. This was like, oh, there was like a whole new dance on the floor, you know? So, um, so Myelina was a a great, um, what, did you move up to do more stuff there? Or, yeah. Well, I mean, I was, at, at the end, what were you doing? For sure. So, I mean, I I went from uh, bar uh, bar bartender, or I'm sorry, a back server, food runner to server to um, when when Myelino had that, they didn't have sommeliers, but they had like almost um, a floor captain of sorts that was selling wine and educating staff. I was helping Liz with that, and then as as I progressed, I bartended and then I eventually ended up as a manager there. And there was some breaks, you know, where I would, I left to go travel and I came back and I left again. And, you know, so it wasn't, but it was, it was a, it was a long time. Were you engaged in wine? Like I know they, for an Italian restaurant, they had a huge champagne selection, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they had a very cool, were you, 
of the mindset, like all the stuff's here, you know, how can I taste it? Who can I hang with? Yeah. So funny enough is to kind of go back to the, the place Stonehouse. I, I actually, when I was there, I, they were opening up the restaurant portion of the restaurant and I was, I was sitting in on staff training for that. And I remember they had a, a, a master sommelier or some, some person <laughs> with some kind of title come and give like a lecture and, and taste us on all the wines by the glass. And the general manager at the time like called on me to describe a wine. And, and at the time I'm this like picky eater that, you know, I don't know that at that time that I ever like had a, a strawberry or a blueberry or whatever. I know that might sound like crazy, but- You're I, the most ungardened state garden state. Yeah, guy, for right? sure. I mean, <laughs> I, like again, in, completely embarrassed to even say this, <laughs> let alone on air. Um, but I was extremely picky and, basically this guy like put me on blast in front of the whole like the whole staff he was like what do you live under a rock he's like you you don't know what i, I you know what i told him the wine tasted it smelled like i said it smelled like grapes you know and um <laughs> and he just put me on blast and i i felt incredibly embarrassed and because i was one of the i was like the guy there right and then all of a sudden but like wine was not my was not my strong suit. I was, you know, you needed to know where this is or that is or make a cocktail or, you know, um, the fire department came in and, you know, I was the guy that was like taking the stuff off the, you know, like, you know, anything that you needed, I was the guy except for wine. So more utility than like the cool stuff. Yeah, yeah for way, sure. Right? Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. uh, and so after that, I, I kind of had like a sour taste in my, uh, like in my mouth about wine. Right. I was just like, not in, I was just like, is this what the wine world is like? So it was because of the people and the culture that you saw, right? Yeah. Well, I was like, like, these guys are assholes. This, yeah. I was like, is this, is this what I want to like be in restaurants for? Um, and so, and so then it was my Alino that, so Tabla was more, you know, you were, I was like slinging Kachumber coolers right. and tamarind margaritas. It's an Indian and, restaurant yeah, yeah. in case people don't um, know. For sure. And so it was not until my Alino where I met Liz Nicholson, um, where she was, she actually made me fall in love with wine, you know, because she was talking about the little old lady on the hill that's a farmer and has a little dog and how she's, how they're taking this grape, indigenous grape of the region and, like that's the kind of shit that I wanted to Peoples hear about. and stories. Exactly. Right. And so, um, and so that was definitely more of what got me into wine. And I stayed at Mylino. And as as I worked there, you know, you saw Liz ended up leaving, and uh, Jeff Kellogg took over. And Jeff Kellogg, you know, Liz was more of like the romantic side of wine, right? The the people, the places. Uh, Jeff was more of like the hey, like this is he was more of like technical and he certainly had fun with wine, but he, I think he, he like did tasting groups and, and, and not only like tasting groups, like, Hey, like, let's just open up some wine. It was, Hey, this is, you know, it was like, this is fucked up. Like I would always bring, like, I was like the guy that used to bring like the wines to like trip everyone up. And he would like, always get mad and be like what the fuck are you doing he's like you bring grapes that like you you like we want to like this whole the whole point is to like go down the grid and like taste right. and and you discover wine. yeah i was like bringing like the most fucked up examples of like grape was varietals. that because 
you still didn't know much then or you were kind of screwing with him? Well, I mean, I just wanted to. Well, I think part of it was screwing with Jeff because it was like, you right. know, if you could screw with Jeff, you know, because he screwed with me every day. Um, so I think part of, part of it was that. And the other part of me was like, it, it wasn't like these wines were ever like they, you know, they might have been costly or this or like I thought like people would could be excited about them. Um, and I, I guess I I glanced over the um, the point of the actual group. And then and then I obviously started bringing like textbook examples of things. And that's when I got the most out of the, the group. So he taught me more of a technical approach to wine. So when you take the romantic side and the technical well, yeah, side. A good path. Yeah, for, for sure. You, for you. And yeah, so that was my, my Alino experience. So you meet your now partner, Chris, at Myelino. Yeah. He's cooking there? Yeah. So he opened the restaurant as like a line cook, and then he went on to be a, a sous chef. And I always felt when he was a, you know, Myelino was an incredible restaurant. And, Very you cool. know, uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner. It, it never, hang never out. close, right? right? You it's, know, great wine list. Exactly. Um, and the, the amount of people that came out of that restaurant and went on to go do great things is truly remarkable. And that opening sous chef team or that sous chef team after a couple of years when I went um, was remarkable. And, and Chris, Chris was one of them. And I always, there was something about Chris and the way he managed, you know, he was always at the pass. He was always cool, calm and collective and he took everything very serious. And, um, and I, I just like felt like he really had a good grasp on, on running a, a kitchen and, and managing people. So, um, so you start hanging with him. You know what? We, we hung out like a little bit here and there, but it, it was, I, I went to go travel, so I left. Uh, I left Myelino twice to go travel the world, and just went all over. And on one of the trips, I was writing a business plan because there wasn't really much to do in when you're trekking in Nepal, and you know you can't. You know, there's like literally no one around to talk to. Um, <laughs> you know, you start journaling and writing stuff. So I just started writing things, and what did what did I want in a restaurant? And um, yeah, I just started. Just thinking of everything. and um, So when you're doing that, do you think like, hey, Chris is a guy that could fit in or that doesn't come up while you're doing that? No. So it, it doesn't come up because I don't, I'm not like really – I say I think about – I always think about everything, but I wasn't actually – pinpointing the, the chef i was what, oh, okay. what kind of chef. what okay. kind of restaurant i wanted you know um it was a very neighborhood restaurant and you know this was the type of glassware or this was the the type of vibe it was it was more so the the concept and and you know what the servers were wearing or whatever you know and is what you were thinking about then is a lot of it what's there now yeah for sure i mean and that definitely you kind of got it. That was the foundation. Yeah. Got to, you know, a more evolved point executed, but it looked like that a lot. Yeah. So I think the, um, I think I, so I take that, I have this journal and just overall just thoughts in my head about what I wanted the restaurant to be. And I think my friend Chase kind of connect, reconnected Zinzer? with Chris. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not a lot of chases. Yeah. <laughs> so he, um, so Chris at the time had gone down to Atlanta to go open up one, uh, uh, the steak bar with um, Kevin Rathman, I believe. Is but the he's name. from Georgia. He's from which Georgia. We'll talk about a yeah. little because it 
it reflects in the food to some extent. Without a doubt. All right, so go ahead. So, so then, Chase. So yeah, so Chase, like, I think reconnected us. We were talking about the other day on how like we actually reconnected, but I do remember the day that we did reconnect. It was Chris's birthday because I I found out later that day, and I was like, dude, I had no idea it was your birthday. I would have bought you a drink or something, but we ended up getting coffee, uh, and we basically I I had this journal of things, and I said this is kind of the restaurant I want. And he, a lot of it connected, right? Cause a lot of it was built upon what we experienced at Myelino and the, just this overall, um, and maybe this kind of goes back to your intro about two Irish dudes opening up an Italian restaurant. It's, we found a lot of uh, similarities in uh, the Italian trattoria or the, uh, the, the Italian, um, you know, not only the food, but, you know, if you go to Rome, some of our favorite restaurants are these uh, places that you just go in and you just feel at home. Well, tell everyone what popina means. So popina is like a slang term for like a dive bar or right. like a place where people just meet and... Um, but love being there and hanging there and go there, which exactly. is part of your plan in Nepal, that, you know, a community place. For sure. I mean, it was. it's all about... Um, it's all about my my friend showed up the other day and he just got back from like the Adirondacks and he's like he's like can I like can I sit in your restaurant like in this t-shirt and dirty pants and I was like yeah Popina like we welcome everyone and um, it's it was important for us to have a place where sure you could go and celebrate and a lot of people do um, but you could also come once a week and get a bowl of pasta and a, a glass of wine and um, we want to we want to be that communal place. So you show Chris all your work he likes it tell me a couple things when about when was that about what year and then how long after that do you really get physical and open the place i want to say that was like 2000 (coughs) either at some point in 2015 uh is when we probably had our initial conversation and then we we i think it took us uh, 2016 of looking at spaces and we, there was, uh, you know, uh, there was um, a lot of, oh, this is promising. Oh, we're completely defeated. Oh, this is promising. You know, ups so. Ups and downs like crazy. Yeah. And so we, we were all over the place too, to be honest. I mean, I want. Well, that's pl- a lack of experience to some extent. You, you know, Without you're learning trial by fire. Without a doubt. I mean, it are, and, and I'm incredibly grateful for all the people that I went to for help and that guided us and just offered a, a little something to us who never did this, right? So we were looking in Williamsburg. We were looking in financial district because we wanted neighborhood restaurants in our own you know, backyard. And then, you know, we ended up getting hooked up with, um, this broker, Keith Durst, who is like this hospitality. Um, he runs FOC, which is this, um, amazing. Um, they like basically connect people in spaces, but then, um, so they have like uh, a real estate and then they all, they, they basically do, they're behind, they're the people behind a lot of these very successful. They have a lot of the pieces. Yeah. So like under one roof or with one guy. Yeah. That's so good happenstance that you kind of come across a guy like that. Yeah. And they were working with, they, I, I think at the time they were working with um, James Kent to, and uh, Jeff Katz to open Crown up. Shy Crown Shy. Yeah. And I was like, wow, these guys are talking to us. And um, and now we, 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 we joke about it. And he's like, yeah, we believed in you guys. And, you know, um, they had well, no you, idea where it was going to go. But you proved him right. So you guys opened the place what year? 
2017 is when we got our the keys um february and then we open in we did friends and family the end of august opened in september of 17 and from feb to august you're like getting furniture and building the kitchen i mean you're active all the way through for sure i think i'm like still working two days over at meckelberg's behind the bar pouring <laughs> beers just to because i'm not paying myself right because well, we, we did how the, and why could you, you we know? did this on a bare bones budget it's yeah. you know i hit up all my like college buddies i was like hey i'm opening up a restaurant you want in and um and you know that's pretty cool um all right we'll come back and talk you know specifically about um Popina. There's a lot to talk about there. But I want to get your take on a couple of things because it's hard to sit down with guys like you and not get stuck talking about the pandemic. Um, do you feel that you guys have recovered from the tough part of the pandemic? You know, where you're moving forward or... You yeah, know, some people went out of business. Some people changed the concept. I mean, wh where were you at? I think if we were open, for, if the pandemic happened in year one or two, you know, we would have been fucked. But I think that the year three, we kind of finally start to gain traction with the neighborhood and and experience and confidence for sure. Guys. And I think what was amazing is the, what what the pandemic showed me and and that's this that's a sense of community and the sense of a neighborhood restaurant and people there were there were neighbors that came up to us so that, so address that because my next question which really plays into that is tell me about the things you had to do during the pandemic i told you i don't want to go backwards much but yeah i mean you did cool stuff during the pandemic to stay afloat but to what you just said, there was a mindset about how you wanted to go about it with a sense of community. So what were some of the things you were doing when it was like the worst of times? Well, first off, it, it was it was pretty amazing um, to and, and kind of big shout out to Chris because Chris had my business partner. He, he had, you know, he has a kid and, you know, a lot of people like took the pandemic and 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 were really we're like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna spend as much time as I can with my family because we we live in an industry that you know you don't always get a lot of family time, right? And um, Chris did an amazing job at balancing the the idea of uh, being at home and getting that time with um, with his family, but also saying, um, hey, we have we have a responsibility as business owners to. Um, to show up and and engage the community, right? And we, me and him, you know, for for two years, three years, leading up to it, it's like if it snowed and everyone else was canceling, you know, closing, we were open. If it, if it was a hurricane, we were open. We were always open because we wanted we we wanted to be that place. And some days, you know, on the snowstorm days, like we wouldn't do really any business, but. You know that one person that didn't cook, that wanted a bowl of pasta. You know that that's that stuff's powerful. And um, luckily, luckily, uh, Chris was always always there to kind of support that idea of the neighborhood restaurant and and what it means because it's so easy for it to snow and be like, hey, I just want to you know stay at home, drink a bottle of wine, and and hang right because we're we're gonna make you know five hundred dollars today what's the point right? right and i think the point is is that you you do that uh, you do that for long enough and then you you build up this sense of community which essentially saved us because people 
like we had neighbors that would come over that there's this one guy that lives in back to the restaurant he's like you make my life better here's a thousand dollars let me know if you need more i don't care what you do with the money you need to be here at the end of this you know so to acknowledge what you were doing and support it and like and crazy and what he said you can't ask for a better customer community of customers and what he's what he said is the, the overall driving force of what what we do every day and that's we want to make people's lives better. We're not like, you know, we're not curing cancer or doing anything right. like that. But at the end of the day, if you can make somebody, New York is a very hard place to live in, right? And if we could give somebody a bowl of pasta, a glass of wine, a smile, um, any of these things, and we made their day a little bit better or a lot of bit better, then like, that's amazing. So get specific for a minute or so. You created a market, you... You realize your food doesn't travel well, so you created <laughs> kits. Um, what'd you do? You know, where were you at with the wine? You're stuck with a cellar, and so how did you play that through with the community in mind? Yeah, so I mean, we 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 had our ideas on what we think people like, but at the same time, sometimes people tell us different things, right? And I think Always. part of that is constantly asking questions and listening you know people come in they oh do you have this do you have that i mean we were doing anything from you know chris was like sous vide and like pork chops with like (laughs) herbs and like so people all they had to do is just grill grill them on each side you know a couple minutes and we were selling it's one time we were selling like grains we were selling we were selling like all kinds of shit and some things worked and some things didn't work and um one of the things that luckily did work was the um was the the pasta kits were a big uh a big success the we were basically chris was putting everything you needed to make as good as pasta as we could do in the restaurant without sacrificing it in a to-go box which you know to be honest wasn't like an easy thing because i'm like the guy that's like just cook the damn pasta put it in a box right Right. and then he's like hey like that's not what i make no yeah and like it and at at the time you're like you're wearing a damn pandemic just put it in a box you know and um (laughs) but he wanted to give himself more work and and give a product that's better and so um so i was at the end of the day i in retrospect it was an amazing effort and um and people love them people still ask for them and i think you know i think if we ever you know could get to a point where we could think about other things i think some kind of project like that where you know you could order pasta in a box and and basically you figured it out read the direction yeah how do you scale it so Um, and then the wine, the wine, we're lucky that we've built a, a beautiful wine community and that, that ranges from anything from the person who knows that I'm going to pick out the best 15 to $20 bottle of wine for them to the person who comes and is like, Hey, I know Rouleau's out. What, what are your, what do you have from, what do you have from Rouleau? I'm like, it's a special occasion. So there's all that, um, there, there's that range of people. And I think people, ultimately supported i had a, like a lot of private clients that you know i was just stocking their sellers and then there was other people who were every tuesday they would come in and say what am i going to eat with this or what am i going to eat with that or what am i going to drink with this or what am i going to drink with that and so um so we, it was amazing am i hearing that you the wine that you had and you were shut down and you had a cellar full of wine you got some cash together by selling it 
to clients and in the store and all of that, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean I was, did you sell it all down or I mean, did you sell most of it or you? Well, yeah. I mean, we, I took my inventory down a crazy amount and you needed during, the cash flow. Needed the cash. And um, in retrospect, I'm, I mean, I'm glad I, I did it. But at the same time, you know, I, I had no idea that the community was going to be so supportive. So I think. You know, we could have probably kept some some of the higher end things and uh, absorbed that. But but we also did some other things. You know, we were doing stuff for like the staff fund where I was putting wines on um, on Instagram and saying, hey, all the profits from this wine will go to our staff fund and motivates then, people more for sure. And 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 but like we weren't necessarily making any money off of it, so therefore it was like a mixed bag of how we were loosening up, loosening up the capital, right? And Very cool. there. Was, there was some I, I think I also posted on the Instagram that it was like if you wanted a if you were a recently unemployed restaurant worker and you wanted a wine for the pandemic and your quarantine you you could buy it at cost that's very cool yeah so like there that's, was that's thinking about the community and what's important to them yeah and there, there were some people that were because community extends beyond our neighborhood community is the yeah. wine community right? well community's community yeah. it could be within a block or in the world exactly it's a mindset exactly you know? so i agree with that um we got to take a break soon but i wanted to ask you because of the podne- uh, pandemic podemic pandemic um Spotlight's been brought on a lot of things, you know, in the business, equality, diversity, pay. Do you think we will get to a point where, you know, there's a better employee life work balance? I mean, because there are many instances and it's a tough business where that really doesn't happen. I mean, I'm guessing you practice that. You know, if you have this community mindset, that goes to your employees. I doubt you ignore them. But you must know and see around, you know, a lot of restaurants, which is the dreadful, you know, environment. Do we think because of the pandemic, people will be a little more, you know, aware of that? I mean, what's your feelings? I mean, I think right now you like you have to be. I think well, I think the balls in there in the employees right. like court. Right. And um, and it's a it's a. It's a buyer's market. For sure. And they could work, people could work wherever they want and they could pretty much set their salaries, you know, or like there's right now it's, it's crazy. And um, so that that's forcing it, which is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. I mean, if if you're doing it and you could do more, that's good. If you're the asshole that didn't, you're forced. So there's change to some long way, but change. And I hope that, I hope that you know, some of these owner operated businesses that don't necessarily have the resources to, you know, to get uh, all the talent that some of these bigger restaurants could maybe, maybe it evens the playing field for them. I, I don't know that that's true, but if I could say, Hey, come work for me and you know, you, you'll make this much, but you'll have, you know, you'll work th- I mean, my servers work, you know, less than, 35 hours 35 at the most a week you know and and they make decent money and um they they really it's all like people that have gone on to be managers or this and that and now they just they're they're servers they're bartenders and they're they're happy they could wear whatever they want to work they like i said they make decent money and they they don't have somebody like constantly like micromanaging them so quality of life i mean being happy for sure um big big value to that 
I think you always, I think Chris and I, and, you know, hopefully other people have always, you know, you always work somewhere and you always then paint a picture of what your place would be based on you being the employee, right? And then you say this, that, the other thing, but then when you plug it into the numbers, you're like, oh shit, uh, maybe I can't offer everyone benefits or maybe I can't give, you know, uh, that, you know, the, the employee, R&D stipend, you know, that was one of them, right? Like maybe you can't do that stuff, but I think, um, we're, we're definitely to a point where we, we're trying to, Chris wanted to start out the restaurant with hospitality included because he was thinking about why the cooks don't make, you know, he wanted a more equitable, like, was was Danny Meyer doing it then? I mean, he was, the idea was out there and even executed. Exactly. Um, and and I was like very reluctant to do it and I ultimately talked him out of it, but it's not because I didn't subscribe to the theory. It was more so I was scared that we were a new restaurant that like would have the price, people weren't ready to pay those prices for, um, for the product. Right. right. And so, and so it was, it, it, it was like a good idea, um, but I was scared of it. Right. And that's like the same thing with, you know, paying your, you know, I think you used to be like, cool, what is the most, what is the most talented person, like line cook, dishwasher that I could get at the lowest amount of money. But now you're like, and like, I, I, I realize that that's fucked up, but now I'm like, now we're thinking it's like, how, what's the most we could pay and still be a profitable restaurant. So we're paying our, we're paying all of our people, like our back of house, like way more than we ever did and 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 hopefully that like makes their lives better right and right? loyal and you don't have to worry about turnover and all that. i mean that that's you know that answers the question i want to ask i want to ask my line cooks like where they're going out on their days off and you know back in the day when we used to work at restaurants it's like they weren't going anywhere because they couldn't afford to go anywhere you know and like the front we were sitting at a family family meal table at Maialino and you'd be like hey where'd you go and all the front of house people were like i went here i went there and all the back house people were like nah i like I cooked. Looking yeah. at you like with a snarl. And like, you know? yeah, we, we want to. Well, yeah. listen, you've created, you know, that kind of environment, which, you know, hopefully people will uh, emulate, which is, you know, a cool thing. Um, James, we've got to take a quick break. We're talking to James O'Brien. James is the proprietor of Popina in Brooklyn. Um, when we come back, I want to talk about little more about i want to talk about the restaurant i want to get into some wines and all of that and a few other things you're listening to the grape nation on the heritage radio network we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by wisconsin cheese in wisconsin cheese is our thing wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese from curds to cheddar blue to brick wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. 
Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, James O'Brien. James, along with his, along with his partner, Chris McDade, um, opened Popina in Brooklyn, and it's become a highly admired uh, destination, and we're going to talk about the place, and you'll understand why. Um, so we talked about during COVID, you know, you sort of became this community place with pasta kits and you were selling wine and all of that stuff. On the wine list, are you back to building it up to where it is or it's a process? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely. Is it a cash thing? Like, how much can I buy if the flow isn't, you know, all there yet? Yeah, I mean, the wine list is as big as it's ever been. Um, almost to, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I was like, I, I used to, the challenge of making a small wine list was, was really fun. And I, and the fact that people would talk about Popina's wine list when it was small was like actually the, the most exciting. Cause you could always get wine and, and, and dump it on a list. Right. And, um, and I looked at my inventory the other day and I was like, oh shit. I was like, I need to. I need to like dial this back, not even for like cash flow perspective, but more so for just having a tight list that like people it's running away pe- a little. Yeah, people don't have to like think as much because you've done the work for them, right? And um, and so yeah, I, I I do think that the wine list is maybe it doesn't have the vintage depth that it, it used to have. I you know, um, but we're we're still uh, we're still working on it and constantly evolving and. You know we're a small restaurant, so we don't always get a ton of allocation allocated wine. So you know the the list might have a a lot of the list is like one to three bottles of things. So yeah, but you're also the type of place where you know the people in the business, and they like the idea that it's at your place for sure. I you mean, know, I mean it's not a get rich scheme, but it's cool that you know Popina's got a few bottles of my wine you know just for sure you, you and know, hopefully it's the cheapest that people could actually drink it and it doesn't just sit on a yeah, list you know yeah i mean i think that's the beauty of what you do um while i got you on that i asked you before anything out there you know kind of rebooting the wine thing and being around during covid anything out there exciting you have you stumbled across or, or paid attention to regions that, you know, you weren't drinking. I mean, are there a couple of cool things you could tell me about of note to you? Sure. Don't dig if it's not there. Yeah. I mean, I, I am definitely, I drink the same stuff all the time. I wish I was a more. <laughs> Gee, I'm really surprised. I, I, Mr. the chicken fingers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wish I was a more <laughs> curious sommelier, but um, I actually, we went, uh, Chris and I went on a trip with his wife, Natalie, um, who you you might know she she works she does the beverage for all of uh, Colicchio's restaurants. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, so her Chris, uh, our events manager Sam, and I went to California. And when I first opened up the restaurant, uh, when we first opened up the restaurant, we were very much into the idea of like an Italian list and an American list because we thought it reflected the food. But then like the seller list would have global producers that. Uh, we we were excited to drink, and so um, it, it now be, after the wine shop thing and all that, we've kind of thrown away the 
that ethos of uh, you know the Italian, Italian US. Yeah, like now it's like you look at the regular list and there's French stuff and German stuff and um, is that more fun for you? I mean, does that you were disciplined <coughs> to do Italian and yeah, I mean U.S. wines, but now is it more fun to? It, I mean, it's certainly more fun, but it also yeah, it, it exposes myself to like I mean I'm I, I love Spanish wine and I never and I never worked with Jose Pastor and now I work with Great. Jose Pastor and it's Great. like I love everything that they do and it's it's amazing and had I not decided to open it open up the floodgates I wouldn't have more experience in like a more global approach. Uh, that being said, we um, we so we went out to California and California is like one of those wine the one like just American wine is unfortunately it's always like one of the things I drink the least of and I'm kind of and I'm embarrassed about it and Me I too. always and I didn't in the old days yeah I mean I always gravitate towards Italian or French wine and and then. And so my, we went out there and Chris, Chris had a rule. He's like, we only drink American wine out here. He's like, we have to drink not only American, but California wine. And, and so we were out there for a couple of days. We went to Napa, Sonoma. We hit up uh, a bunch of our friends, yeah, anyone from Maria Sinsky to Pax and Patrick. And we went to go see Literai. And it was an amazing kind of re, um, rebirth, not rebirth. Or it, it, like I was... Uh, it filled up the tank as far as my love for American wine and why we should drink it. And so one of my questions was, you know, California Napa wines are famous for being over the top and fruity and all of that stuff. Um, so you answered the question to some extent, you know, tell me some wines from Napa and California that don't do that. And Ted Litterai has been doing that forever. Sure. Pax and, you know, Patrick's got a new project. Um, you know, some of the other people, those at, Dan Petrosky left Larkmead sure. to concentrate on Massacan, Steve Mathiasen, all that stuff. What, um, there's, we agree there's still that big, unctuous, mm -hmm. you know, market and all that. But are you seeing more and more, you know, producers that care about sustainability, organics, not high alcohol wines? No, without a doubt. More now than. Yeah, more now. And I think they're. You know, even what they're doing over uh, at Pac with Pat Pax and Patrick is, you know, they have multiple winemakers are making wine in their Talk facility. Community. You know, and so I think doing stuff like that is allowing them to hopefully offer the wines at a more economical. Because um, yes. sometimes American wines, we were like, why are they so expensive? Because you of know? the land and the processing, everything. Exactly. They but, they have the community. Yeah, I, that that's a good point because. That cost is is shared. Yeah, I, I credit Pax for that. I think. I mean, the amount of people that actually came, I, I didn't realize how many people worked under him, you know, and and went on to do amazing things. I mean, but think about the place alone: Jamie Motley, Martha, love, yeah. Patrick, Scott, uh, Scott Jolie yeah. Laid. I mean, exactly. one of the uh, Mondavis is there, Rain or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. so he's got a lot of cool stuff going on. All right, so. Spanish wines caught your attention. You focused in on uh, the good California wines on the trip. So you did a little traveling and all of that. Tell me, it's funny because you're not one of these like formal wine guys. I mean, <laughs> which, you know, I love. That's why you're here. I don't want to, you know, a, a CMS guy or whatever. Um, tell me the list 
what's the philosophy or what's the mission? You know, it's admired people, you know, it's notable to them. Obviously, you thought this is the kind of stuff. And it could be as simple as it's what I like or it matches the food, which is an important thing, too. What's that mission there? Or what's sure. That? I think the getting producers that are doing the right things um, and we we think uh, Chris having a, a, a little one, we always talk about, like, what is the what does the earth look like in five years and 10 years and a hundred years, you know? And, and so I think we, sometimes we have to pay a little bit extra for things that are done the right way and that don't take the shortcuts. And so the wine list definitely reflects that ethos of people doing the right things. And, um, and these are generally the wines that we like anyway, um, you know, finished result, but it's also, I mean, you should have saw Chris when we went to Litterai when he saw like all the, you know, all the, they're growing everything all, all over the property and the biodynamics and like, it, it's really cool. And, and that makes you want to support those wines even more because they're, they're thinking about the land and they're not just taking from it, from it, they're giving back. So in the old days, in the old days, wasn't that long ago. It's like, so you favor natural producers. Well, that, that, that line is, you know, BS, <laughs> but it's really about, you know, people who care about, you know, the land and how they make it. And it even goes further. You didn't mention, I know you're thinking of how they treat their employees, Without you it. know, all of yeah. that stuff. Um, so that's sort of the producers that you have in there. And, I, and I'm sure most of them have a good story behind. Yeah. And, and we just want the delicious wine. Chris is a badass chef and uh, he cooks some of my favorite food that I've ever had. And to, to have he, his pasta. He took a chicken finger and made it hot. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. <laughs> we'll talk about that in it's, a second. I love it. Um, so that that's the list. How big is the list? Oh, oof, probably too big now. Um, you said it's kind of bigger now. Yeah. I mean, what, I, what, are I, we, what are we talking range-wise? I mean, I would probably say there's, I don't know, three, probably like... Because there's stuff that I like have on the list that's not on the list, and we're doing this like wine club that I have like wines for that. So I mean, probably so, like probably like in the cellar alone, there's probably close to you know different skews. There's probably up like close to like four or five hundred. And years ago, it was like two fifty, three hundred. Oh, I was like, well, that's the funny thing too about the pandemic that I was talking to somebody the other day. You, I used to just my the the list was contained by how like how many producers i could fit on one printed page we don't print menus anymore so it could just go and go and go yeah there's no bounds you know that's crazy um is by the glass important for sure i mean how many times have you gone to a a wine restaurant and been like wine restaurant did anyone tell the person making the the list that uh the people like to drink by the glass wines uh you know and it was i get it by the glass is like your money maker and you know you want to make sure the margins are right but why can't it be right every time i pour i pour a different champagne um for 25 bucks no matter you know it could be anything from filet to bouchard to pierre peters um right now it's mouzon larue um so Right to me, there's always something. There's always some really great glass pours that I, I'm not just phoning them in. You know, it's it's not. Yeah, it, it's it's, it's exciting. Yeah. You know, because yeah. guess what? At the end of the night, I might want a glass of wine. Right. Yeah. You know? I think that's 
like you said, people kind of shrug it off. It's a good opportunity to be compatible with the food and introduce people to great wines. You alluded to this before that you have, you know, some vintage stuff in the cellar. I mean, that sounds like a reserve list or something. I mean, um, do you have that? I mean, do you have that because you know some guy's going to walk in and ask for a Rouleau or why do you have a reserve list? Two reasons. One, I I want to... The re- reserve list is part of the first reason I, I had a, the reserve list, even in the early days when the, the reserve list might have only been 10 bottles that I brought, like, privately consigned to the restaurant myself, right? Um, and I, I don't want to, like... I don't want to bog down people. We don't, right now, we don't have a sommelier that's like working the floor that could help people with a big wine list. So I don't want to bog people down. I want to do the work ahead of time and give people a very streamlined list of some great options. And I want them to feel good about it and not feel like, oh, wow, this is overwhelming. So the reserve list allows me to have wines that people don't have to get caught up on they just look at the regular list they say oh cool this is my range separated boom and then if the people that are looking at the seller list are more of these like more like curious wine nerd type of people that like to like have the options and they 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 don't really necessarily need the help picking a wine because they know what they want so but it's it was important to me to to have a reserve list because i wanted one again Chris Chris is a great chef and to have great wines with his food is a pretty pretty magical thing. And two, uh, it's just the stuff that I, I, I like to drink and I, I love. And how cool is it that I could I pride myself on offering it at the cheapest you could ever get it. I, I wasn't well, that's, a, that's a mantra that exists there. Yeah, you're, I you're not gonna yeah. make it up on the reserve list that's not the way you think for sure i yeah. grew up reading you know when i say grew up i mean i was in Mayolino, like reading about rulo and dovisad and like i could never afford to drink those wines and now right. it's like cool like come to popina you could drink those wines. right there, you know? there's a market you yeah. can't poo poo the people who want that or a 20 dollar, you know whatever um you mentioned sommeliers are the days of restaurants having sommeliers or multiple sommeliers numbered gone I mean, are we gonna I, come back to that? I mean, I don't know. It's it's interesting, right? Because here here you have uh, for me, it's like I always think about getting somebody as far as to come to work at Popina that is multidimensional and like wears a bunch of different hats and likes and like and not likes, just the nerdy one. Yeah, guy. likes to do everything. Right. That being said, you know, I I think some restaurants um, could probably prove that if they have a sommelier on the floor, then they're their you know numbers might go up because people are selling more wine or dedicated to that and so i guess for some models it works but for us it it's it, a good it point. doesn't it's I, a good point yeah I, I could see why it doesn't work for you but i could see other places you know certain groups have these big restaurants big net customers you sure know, push it out get them into a second bottle um we got to wrap up pretty soon because i want you to do the wine list and i want to taste that rose essay um your menu is smallish well thought out. It's definitely eclectic. Um, it's Italian food that has a southern flair. Fair? Yeah. Because Chris is from 
Georgia. Georgia. But give me an example of, you know, Italian food with a southern flair, specifically like dish wise. I mean, sure. how does he execute that? Well, one of our one of my favorite dishes of all time was pappardelle with ham hocks, shishito, and collard greens. And, you know, the the, the sounds I, funky, but it's awesome. Oh, probably. it's so it's so yeah. good. And um so pappardelle being the the uh, Italian, you Fat, know, white pasta. Yeah. And then you you get ham hocks, which a lot Pancetta. of <laughs> Yeah. Right? I'm like, yeah, ham hocks, what the, you know, and and collard greens. I was like, oh, I don't I don't really like collard greens. And and all these things you that probably you probably never had, ate a lot of. Them. Well, you had these preconceived notions of right. and 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 Chris have Chris has done an amazing job at at, at opening my eyes to um to things that I was just not into because maybe maybe I'm a picky eater, maybe it's I'm from New Jersey, maybe any of these things. But I mean, even like he just put out a tin fish book, and I never ate tin fish. And guess what I ate for dinner last night? I was like, oh, I'm home by myself. Well, tin fish. Cool. Part of that is because you're a lazy shit. But, yeah. <laughs> but but it, tin fish is hot. Yeah, yeah. You see it Instagram, but the fact that a guy like Chris, you know, does a book means people are paying attention yeah for sure so stuff like that where he takes you know classic pappardelle ingredients but kind of switches them and it yeah braising down the ham hocks using that as like the sauce for the for the pasta one of the great italian dishes is a milanese sure a pounded down chopped chicken whatever and fried beautifully what do you guys do with that? That's a big hit dish there, right? Yeah, he 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 actually tried to take it off for a little bit, and I was like, "Yo, bad idea." <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's so basically not from like the not from Georgia, but from the South. You know, Nashville they do their hot Nashville chicken. hot chicken, right? So he developed like a spice blend that. You know, it, it's funny. I always like joke around that he always. I I never know the exact ingredients, and I think he does that on purpose. But it's it always trails off. He's always like cayenne, paprika, and then like three different types of chili, and then all of a sudden it's like uh, and leaves, leaves the secret ingredients <laughs> yeah. out. You bastard. You know? Exactly. I get that. Um, so the the menu is definitely seasonal and ingredient driven. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious with all the BS going on. Is it tough to get? you know, certain like food supplies and all that, or you don't really feel that. I mean, there's an abundance of farmers and stuff around New York. I mean, to sometime to my, um, (laughs) dismay, Chris like puts on stuff that is like available. Like, so meaning the fit, our fishermen come in and they're like, Hey, we got all this blue fish, you know? I'm like, nah, nah, blue fish sucks. And And he's like, and he's like, no, I'm going to, like, this is what we need to eat. And he makes a delicious black and blue fish right now. And it's That's on the, the menu. That's the only way to do it is blacken <laughs> it. Trust me. And so I think, I think um, I'm trying to change my mentality on, like, hey, like, we don't always need to, like, go for the most delicious, um, you know, insert whatever fish you want that you eat all the time that everyone eats. And it's like, okay, like, maybe we eat bluefish maybe we eat mackerel maybe we eat skate or um well these things i mean i'm well, not really based, sold saying, on catfish but it's, you're you saying know. fishy and weird fish yeah you know but, you'll have sea robin on the list oh man. man i mean who <laughs> no, knows um yeah so the menu is very interesting we gotta move on to uh, our wine list we're running out of time but let me ask you this last question a place like yours 
does the vibe exist or would would it be different if it was like in Manhattan or something? I mean, is being in Brooklyn part of the fabric or what you've done is what it is and that can go anywhere up in Hudson County in the East Village, West Village, Brooklyn? Yeah, I mean, I like to think that what we do would work anywhere. You know, we've certainly talked about Popina in different locations, not only in this city, but also in other cities. Uh, Chris, I always had a, have a feeling uh, that Chris, Chris is a Southern boy at heart, and I feel like at some point in his future, he will end up in like back down south, yeah. whether it's Charleston or you know. Um, and so, I think we we think about our restaurant and how it could, you know, be in other places, but still be true to itself and that's a good answer yeah i I just thought people are so caught up with brooklyn like this is brooklyn man that's why this is cool it's cool because it's cool not because it's in brooklyn for sure and and we're we don't have like the cool bartender with all the tattoos and earrings and we we have the the bartender or the whatever the server that's hospitable and hospitality transcends everything you know right you you did Charleston before the pandemic, right? Yeah. I tried to get in and I couldn't. I wound up with who's the guy from Olmstead, which was no letdown. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, either one I figured if I got in. Yeah, no. Uh, was, would you do uh, that again? Festivals like that? Yeah, I mean I, I think um I mean that was that was awesome right before. That was my first time at the Charleston Food and Wine Festival and Good Town um, for food. Oh yeah, it was great yeah. and, and like Graf Wine Bar was awesome. I think Fem- I went there three times in one day. Femi and Miles have been on the show. We we, <laughs> we broadcast from down there. They're on I think they've been on four years Oh yeah, they're but. awesome. All right, let's do the wine list. The wine list is five questions. We ask all our guests that come through. Um, to answer the wine list, same five questions. So the people that preceded you were asked the same questions. We don't have a lot of time here. I'm warning you. All right. Five questions. Don't dwell on them. Give me your best answers. So first question is, what are you drinking now? We may have sort of addressed that, but what's in your fridge? What's on your table? What may be on the bar in the restaurant, you know, that you're trying? Give me a few things. Sure. So like I said, if you look at my fridge at home, I'm a very... Uh, drink the same shit all the time. It's white burgundy, Chablis, like champagne, that kind of stuff. So good answer. Give me two things. What's you're obviously not drinking crazy expensive champagnes. What's like a good champagne? Shout one out. Uh, I mean, Charton Taillet, Cuvée Saint Anne. You know, I think I have you know a couple bottles of that in my fridge just because it's it could be an everyday champagne. You know, good one. What about a Chablis? You know, without. You know, going Davicetti, yeah, Tribute. Tri- tribute. Yeah, tribute exactly. is good. Yeah, I mean, you it's get the, the lower end of that. You get, you know, a bottle of that for 40 bucks. Right, which plays, really plays up. Yeah. All right, good. We're doing a good job on that. <laughs> Favorite wine and food pairing? Nerdiest question on it. But, you know, we know it's not something you can eat every night, every month. But what's like, ah, yeah, that works. Sure. Uh, I, I really love white burgundy and spaghetti with. Uh, anchovies like spaghetti con lechuga. It's is that like a little olive oil and butter? Even butter. More, even more decadent. Okay. Butter and anchovies <laughs> is like a thing. It's man. a magical thing. Yeah. So that and like um, a, a beautiful white burgundy, like some maybe even like more voluptuous, like Merceau. I was gonna say it has yeah. to have body yeah, to yeah. cut through all that uh, For butter sure. and salt. And That's a good one. That may be a first. All right, I know you work hard, and I know we went through a pandemic, but. Favorite wine restaurant and our bar. 
And you're the example because it's a place you walk into that has a vibe, that has the list, that have people that are enthusiastic about it. Outside of you, I mean, who's like that? Um, so, I mean, being that I work in South Brooklyn, I, okay. I, I go to, I go all the time. I go to uh, Frank's Wine Bar or Red, John Hook, Patterson. Or Red Hook Tavern, right? Billy I think Gurney. I think the, the difference in between those is that Prime Meat or, um, or Frank's Wine Bar, John John and Matt do an amazing job curating that list. And it's like everything, all like the boring things that I love to drink, that they love to drink, all like white burgundy, Chenin Blanc, all champagne. And then they also have like a great, they do a great job in having some of these other out of the box kind of things. And that's what I love also about going down to Red Hook Tavern is um, – uh, Rebecca does an amazing job uh, on, and she always has me drinking stuff. She basically calls me boring all the time, and she's like, "How many times are you gonna drink Lafon or Rouleau or you know, drink something else, right?" So she'll always pour me something, some like crazy shit that I have no idea of, and and so I I go to like Frank's to drink the stuff that I know and love, and I go to um, I go there to like drink some new. But as far as like. As far as like a vibe goes, I live in Manhattan and um, I love. I get into some trouble over at um, where uh, um, Blue Ribbon. It's like you go to Blue Ribbon, you spend a little bit more than you want to spend, but you're eating like shrimp cocktail and that's French been an fries. Industry and, hangout for twenty years, and that's a vibe, right? Yeah, no, that's a it good makes, vibe. It makes me want to yeah. drink better wine that I probably yeah. should be drinking. Yeah, and they're, they're they're conscious of that, so it's there, <laughs> which is pretty. Th- those are good ones. Um, Fourth question, favorite all-time wine. The question initially was, James, what was like the most expensive rare wine you ever drank? Don't care about that anymore. What's that wine or those couple of wines that had an impact on you? Like we were talking about bartending and your girlfriend up the game and then over at uh, Danny Myers, you know, you met people. Were there wines along the way that kind of defined yeah, can you think of one or two? For sure, early early on, it was um, Jeff uh, used to let us uh, drink. It, Jeff used to let us purchase wines from like the cellar of at cost, and Myelino had like a a really insane uh, Poggio di Soto and Bartolo <laughs> Mascarello, and so I remember one time for a special occasion, I I got a. You know, I think I for seventy bucks or something, I I bought a O one uh, Mascarello, and it it was just like holy shit! It definitely because like at the time I was I was just very much getting into it. I I knew who Bartolo was and I read all about him, but actually having that wine and experiencing that was awesome. And then as I progressed, uh, you know, you 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 continue. Um, I, wine is very contextual, right? It's. I think some of my favorite bottles are around people that I just really well, want to enjoy, right? Some people have answered the question, pe- wine with people. Forget yeah. the wine. Yeah. You know. I mean, my. So, like, this is funny, right? Like, I because I've I've listened to your show before, and I'm like, oh yeah, that '86 uh, Coche Rougeau that I drank was like probably like the most amazing like experience of uh, like wine just wine, right? But then I was like, that time that I drank a $15 uh, uh, Donna's uh, Cooperative Nebbiolo when I was skiing in Cormonier with a bunch of friends. That was the whole deal. That was better. That was better. And like, I don't even have that wine on my wine list or anything because it was, but like, 
holy shit, that was like magical. That with some like kind of meat ragu up on the, in a lodge, it's snowing out. It's like, that's it, you know? That's what you remember. Yeah. Um, those are two good examples. I didn't mention this, but we post all this stuff because the reason I'm asking you is, you know, you're around it so much and people are interested. They always want to be tipped off. Sure. You know, the stuff or what people are thinking. Everything you've told me during this interview leads me to believe that you may be able to answer the last question better than anybody that's ever walked <laughs> through these doors. Very little pressure on you. But really. So the question is, best wine around 15, 20 bucks retail. Okay? And the setup has always been I have kids in their like 20s, you know, higher 20s. They're going to dinner parties. They got to get gifts. They're done with that supermarket wine. Yeah. But they can't roll out like 40 so like that wine you talked about skiing, where is like the value and the wow in 15, 20, 22 bucks? Give me a red, give me a white. You know, you can give me one, two. You could do region like Muscadet is a good value. What sure. comes to mind? Uh, I think light skin grapes from Piedmont, say Ruque, Roses, or sorry, Ruque or Grignolino or um, Frasia. Um, I think those are Pella Verga, you know? I think you could get... Uh, uh, Pella Verga from Castella de Verduno for 25 bucks really? maybe or, or, a good producer. or La Maraja does a Frasia or a Grignolino for probably retails around 25 bucks and I think those Great I don't family. know I, I'm obsessed with those like light bright you know maybe with a little chill um, those those I think are an insane value it, I think it's just harder maybe to like find find them if you're outside of like a major market right that's going to be a problem anyway. Yeah. And then white-wise, um, I was actually, funny enough, I was just talking with uh, John Bonet. He was at Popina the other day. and I saw him post. Yeah. And we were talking about, uh, he drank Fiano there. And I was, and, and Chiro uh, Piccarelli is like, Fiano's, I mean, wow. I mean, it, it over-delivers every time. And so I think that's another producer that you could probably get for that 25 mark. Or, um, or even like Verdicchio, you know, Verdicchio. Um, we always, <laughs> I always joke, one of my friends would always, uh, he's in Hawaii right now. And, uh, we always joke that Verdicchio is the Italian Chablis, which I, <laughs> I don't know that I agree with <laughs> I it, don't but, agree with uh, that. but, it, but he always, uh, it begs for some kind of comparison, but I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's the right but, one. But some amazing value in that, you know, I think those are, um, those are all good suggestions. And I will, like I said, post them and spell everything out. You know, Frasia, how you spell it, Grigolino, so people know what we're talking about. All right, we got to wrap up the show. I'm glad that you agreed to bring in a bottle of wine. We do a weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. Um, this week we're tasting a wine. It is the grape is Rosese. The producer is Punta Crena. Yep. Um, and it is imported by Kermit Lynch, so right out of the chute, we know it's good. And it is a Vigneto Tasco? <laughs> Frasco? What is that? Yeah. Okay. I, I, All right, so tell me a little about this wine. It's, it's Ligorian. Yeah. Wait, what is that? Say? Is that Isacco? Is it Isacco? Isacco. Yeah. Okay. All right, so it's a red wine. It's the Rosese grape. So... Let's talk about the grape first. You know, what are the characteristics, qualities of the grape? So Rosese was always one of those grapes that we used as like a secret weapon at Myelino when it was, you would normally go white, but somebody wanted red. 
Um, it or meets it, in the middle. Yeah, and it's um, you know in Lagoria they they're um, they're planting on, on like the side of the the side of these mountains, right? So it's it's all like hand harvested, and it's it's very. I mean, it's backbreaking work, right? Like just the idea that people are out doing that is is amazing, and the I I feel like there's like a nice like saline quality to it that like pairs well with like fish or I mean just pretty much anything high acidity. Um, it has like a little savory kind of spice element to yes. it, so it it just has like a lot going on for a very simple indigenous grape and and what uh, looks like a lighter red for sure you know it's got it's got the body and those nuances and all of that tell me about uh crena so punta crena they they do some awesome stuff they do a pigato which i i love a vermentino um their vermentino is good yeah, yeah for sure and ligoria uh, is one of the places where the better vermentinos are yeah, yeah right for yeah. sure and it, it kind of like makes sense right when you think of what are what are people over in ligoria and the cinquateria like what are they eating and what are they drinking and um i think their wines you know complement each other so the vintage year is 2019 good wine to drink you know current vintages you know we're not putting this thing away for you could, but yeah. I'd... All right. So color is it's sort of that you know clear, not clear. How would you describe the color? Like like a light purple, yeah. translucent. Yeah, I think more pinot noirish. Yeah, for sure. Maybe a little even more like ruby than purple. Yes, you know, Ru- you're right about the ruby. It's not purple. Um, I suck at this, but when forced to do it, I could do it. What do we get on the nose? <laughs> There's an interesting overall nose to it i can't describe it but what do you what get do you what the, do you what do you think well it's like very prevailing it's not i get that first i mean if you throw things out maybe i'll go oh yeah but what do you get on the nose i mean i think it's definitely like red fruit driven right definitely so you red got, fruit you got your like strawberry or maybe even like a kind of like it, it, you know like what rhubarb-y. as i kind of suck it in you get the strawberry i mean red fruit was never an issue but as i stay with it more strawberry than rhubarb but yeah that's in there um, and also like maybe like a peppery spice or something yeah. like that you know yeah which you wouldn't expect from this all right mouthfeel it's it's kind of a not in a negative way a thinner wine because of it so it's kind of a medium mouthfeel right yeah high acidity what kind of alcohol is it medium low i think it's i think it's pretty low let me see if it's on the bottle because you could knock this stuff 12.5, so that's easy to knock out two bottles, you know, a couple hours with some food and all of that. There you go. All right. Palette. Does the palette match the nose as far as descriptors? What are we getting on the palette? Yeah, I think so. I think you get think, a, a lot of that, a lot of that like red fruit, the I strawberry. Th- I think the spice is there. Mm-hmm. I think the salinity is there. So I think the palate does match the nose. Um, what are we looking at in the restaurant if we order a bottle of this? I think this comes in. Uh, well, funny enough, I think we're actually pouring it by the glass right now. Uh, so you could get this. Um, I think we do it for sixteen or seventeen bucks awesome. by the glass. And That's awesome. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a wine that I used to, I used to order so much of and no problem, but now, now it's hard to get. Yeah. Now, well now it's like, it, my guy's like, Hey, I got five cases for you. I'm like, 
that's it. I was like, I want to pour this all summer, you know? That sucks. All right, so it's the 2019 Punta Crena Rosese. It's the Vigneto Isacco, we figured out, 2019. And this is a wine from Liguria, and it's imported by Carmen Lynch, so we know it's good. All right, James, we got to wrap up. Um, you did mention what foods would pair with this, so I don't have to ask you that. All right, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Please subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at sbenruby. On Twitter, we're at benruby. I know, confusing, but use the hashtag the grape nation on both to get to us we're trying to build a community on clubhouse so follow us at ben ruby like i said we'll post james wine list and i will list the weekly wine sip so that you could try to look for it um, on all our social media sites we'll start posting everything tomorrow through next week james tell me a couple things if we want to follow you because you sound like a fun nice interesting guy <laughs> That likes chicken fingers and champagne and hot sauce. It's a um, simple guy. <clears throat> right. Where can we follow you? Uh, OB's World uh, on Instagram. OBS World. Yep. W-O-R-L-D. That's, that's James' personal account. Yep. Here. And then the restaurant? The restaurant is uh, Popina NYC. Right. Yeah. And if you Google Popina, it'll take you to their website. Yeah, for you sure. menus and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I'm, you know... I'm pretty sure the hours of operation are correct, but you know, it's a hey, you know, give them a call. Not only the wine guy, but you know, I do a little of everything. So, do you do any Resi or TikTok or any of that? Yeah, stuff? we're we're on Resi. Okay, um, so people, so Resi, but we're also a neighborhood restaurant, so we we always like leave some room for walk-ins. For uh, right now, we're doing all outside dining. We have a insane backyard um, yeah we didn't even get into the story about the side of the restaurant yeah, and the, the landlord the back but you've always you've been known for that garden yeah for sure it's like every review that you always read it's like whether it's five stars or one star it's always like beautiful backyard and then it's either like amazing yeah. food or uh bad wine list or what i don't know <laughs> so frustrating but but it always starts out beautiful backyard <laughs> Yeah, if you look at my uh, show reviews, it's like he talks too much. <laughs> Great guest, talks over guests. All true. You know, I mean, you sat here, I had to sit on my hands. Why do you got to talk so much? I, whatever. <laughs> All right, listen, we got to go. Thank you to our guest, James O'Brien. James O'Brien from Popina with his partner, Chris McDade. Thank you to our engineer, first time together, me and Liam, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.